Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Reviewed Podcast. I am Ivan Kander and uh, with me I have Dave Glanz and Mike Morandi. And guess what, guys? We did it. We made it to episode one. So we are <laughs> right. already off to a good start. The uh, goal of this podcast is to take a look at classic movies and classic cinema and review them and talk about them in a modern cinematic context. And uh, that's what we were going to try to do today. So up for our first episode is Ridley Scott's Blade Runner a classic sci-fi film um, and this one was actually made let's see what year it was made in do you know 1982 what 1982 between Raiders and Indiana Jones and the old Temple of Doom yeah so this is when Harrison Ford was on his hot streak basically when he was making all those classic movies that we know and love and it's an interesting movie because as I talked to a lot of people about Blade Runner I found out that most people actually hadn't seen it like they know of it but like a lot of people have actually not sat down especially yeah. modern generation of people have sat down and watched That's right. Blade Runner it's not like Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's not like Star Wars. It's not like one of those movies that just everyone has seen. I just feel like a lot of people know about it. So I thought it would be a a good uh, movie to start this podcast out with. Uh, so first off, I kind of want to talk a little bit about ourselves and our background, so you know somewhat we what we're talking about. Um, I am, as I said, Ivan Kander, and I'm a local filmmaker here in D.C., and uh, Dave and uh, Mike both went to film school. Dave has seen every movie, and Mike has seen no movies. <laughs> so I figured it was a good combination of knowledge and lack of knowledge. Yep, but yep. why don't you guys just quickly introduce yourselves for the uh, the listeners at home? All right. Well, my name's Dave Glantz. I'm a designer and animator. I live in the D.C. area with my wife and daughter. Uh, my background uh, was actually in film studies. I graduated in 98, so I'm probably the uh, oldest one here. Uh, I started obsessing over movies when I saw Goodfellas when I was 14. I think that was the movie that probably got me thinking, oh, I need to do something creative for a living. I need to do something related to film. And so I make commercials. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so uh, my background, you know, my, I would say my favorite movie is Pulp Fiction. I just bought a Polish Pulp Fiction, uh, Pulp Fiction poster for my office. Uh, it's probably the movie I've seen the most times in uh, the theater. I think I saw it 12 times when it came out. So um, <laughs> that's my background. We'll pass it on to you. Okay, so yeah, as Ivan said, I'm also a film major, and I've seen next to no movies. That's, that's not true. <laughs> I've seen a decent amount. Um, I was kind of a late bloomer when it came to watching movies, appreciating movies. Um, I used to make them all the time as a kid. That kind of led me to the major. And then uh, once I actually went to school, I started discovering uh, 3D animations. So now I'm uh, as well as Dave is a uh, 3D motion graphics artist, designer, um, looking to move back into film at some point. Um, and this is, a, I think, this is a good way of kind of getting refamiliarized with with some things I haven't seen previously. And, let me ask you a quick question. What yeah. did you make uh, movies on? What, what equipment did you use? Oh, uh, a household camcorder, like a, a computer editing program. So it was like computer my, editing. Uh, well, yeah, see, yeah, I did yeah. deck to deck. Yeah, see, back in the day, at that point, yeah. we had a lot of, yeah, it was deck to deck. And then we, um, I, my, my dad, I think for Christmas, had bought me like a uh, um, computer editing software, which is like mind-blowing at that point, because I hadn't experienced that before. So once I got to that, then it was just like all downhill from there. Like, I was in love with it, so. Well, it's an interesting segue, actually, to talk about like Blade Runner, because that's like a convergence of technology, right? This movie comes out in 1982, and it looks phenomenal. We all just re-watched the movie, and mm-hmm. it, um... I think we can all agree it looks amazing. Um, But I kind of wanted to quickly talk about what our experience is is with the movie. So it's a very classic movie, but it's also a cult classic. Like when it first came out, I know that critically it wasn't that super well received. And it's since like, is that correct? That's right. I I just watched this documentary called On the Edge of uh, Blade Runner, I think it was called. It came out in 2000. And they were talking about how it wasn't well received when it came out. 
Uh, people found it boring. The test it, test audiences didn't like it, which is why they put narration in the original cut of the movie. Hmm. And if you if you go back and watch the, the original version with the, with the narration, it sounds a little ridiculous. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know which. For I'm assuming you guys, we've, I watched, we've all watched the same. This is version. really that's an interesting question. I watched, <laughs> good, yeah, I watched yeah. the whatever the director's the final cut was called Blade Runner the final cut, that's which what, I'm assuming yeah, is okay. the one that Ridley Scott approves of or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like my experience with this movie is interesting. I didn't watch it for the first time until college, which is about ten years ago. Um, and I, you know, this is when Netflix was first coming out. So like I did this thing where I started like catching up on movies that somehow passed me by, and um, I watched Blade Runner. And at the time, I kind of enjoyed it but I also felt like I had a responsibility to enjoy it like this movie's well yeah. it was well movie's well documented it's well received and right. it's a it's a stunning visual movie so I have to like this movie so in rewatching it I feel like I've got a lot of criticisms about it now but I'll go into that later so what is your familiar you watched it in college Dave no I probably watched it for the first time in college I think I had seen it in bits and pieces probably on cable and and uh, friends houses growing up never all the way through and I think the reason well, we can get into the reasons why I didn't really connect with it as, as much back then as I probably do now, but um, it just didn't grab me the way that, say, Raiders of the Lost, like the other Harrison Ford, the other science fiction movies did of, of that era. I was um, definitely not as enthralled with it back then, but I think it's a movie that's reputation has grown over time, like, say, Groundhog Day or a lot of other movies where they were well, they were sort of well-received, you know, or maybe even a little popular. This one, I think Blade Runner wasn't popular at all. I think it was a bit of a flop. And then home video made it kind of a, a hit over time. So, um, yeah, that's my ex, that's my experience. And you, Mike, having I, watched no I movies, <laughs> just watched it recently. So I when, I've watched no movies. Well, I've certainly watched some, but um, I saw this movie way, way back, like about three months ago. So <laughs> it goes way, way back. Yeah, I mean, I I had always heard it talked about. Um, the reason why I wanted to see it is I was going to L.A. and I wanted to take a trip to the Bradbury Building, which uh, I knew was there. Oh, that's so like the famous. Like, is that the hotel set in the movie uh, where the toy maker lives? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. So I knew I, I'm like, all right, I can't go and see it without seeing it. That is an movie, amazing so, set. Like, it's yeah. awesome looking. It was in the uh, the artist recently. That was the last. Yes. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. Okay, that's that's an yep. interesting bit of trivia. So. Um, what did you think about when you first watched it? So, okay, I, again, like you, I felt like I had a responsibility. Maybe not so serious. I felt like I was in for a ride. I'm like, all right, this is going to be um, a classic, you mm-hmm. know, cornerstone of American cinema, science fiction. It's got Harrison Ford. It's going to be great. And I, I feel like I want to be committing heresy. I, I didn't really, <laughs> like, I, I didn't really, I, I got into it. I think at the first, like, 15 minutes, I was, like, really into it. And then I think once the story started unfolding, it wasn't as huge of a fan as I thought it was going to be. Um, I think it looks awesome, um, but at the story, I think, I don't know. Yeah. Well, the progression of the movie is interesting for me, rewatching it uh, this past week. Um, the movie, I think, starts out amazing because you're introduced to this amazing visual world mm-hmm. that looks mm-hmm. phenomenal. It and, starts uh, off on a wide shot with oh, these explosions. It's, it's like the, the set's amazing. It's the coolest thing you've ever seen. You're like, this is going to be the greatest yeah. science fiction movie of all time. And then the pacing of the movie is such that you know it didn't connect with you like Raiders of the Lost Ark or uh, Star Wars or such because it's not paced like that. It's mm-hmm. paced like an art film yeah. in this very yeah. pop, noir, science fiction world. And then, for me, the movie kind of, you know... It slowed down, and then at the end, I think the climax is fantastic. I think the last like twenty five minutes are just incredibly well yeah, done. I agree. And I feel, and it's just in that middle point where I just, you know, I started to disengage a little bit. And I don't know whether that's a cornerstone to just my sensibilities as a film watcher nowadays. Like movies are different now. Uh, a movie made in nineteen eighty two isn't the same as a movie made now. But I'm, I'm curious to hear yeah, if you guys feel the same I, way. And I, I disagree. I feel like there are some movies that are made back in the 80s that are still that are still really good and I think that hold up. Well, I guess Star Wars seen. is a good example of that, right? Or Raiders Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, so yeah, well, you could go, well, that would be a good uh, next 
uh, movie or, or a future movie on this on this podcast. Star Wars. Who hasn't seen Star Wars? But who hasn't seen Star Wars? But, yeah, Star That's the Wars. Point. <laughs> well, well, I think the main. Look, so I mean, I'm not sure if this is what I should be talking about now. But I was going to say the thing. The reason I think that a lot of it seems to be paced differently, and maybe why people don't connect with um, Blade Runner as much as they did, you know, with uh, other science fiction movies, is that the main character is. Almost not the person is, isn't almost the uh, he's not, maybe not the protagonist. I was thinking that Roy Batty, the guy that Rucker Howard plays, mm-hmm. he might be the one we're supposed to sympathize with. He's actually yeah. the one who goes through a, a change throughout the movie. Harrison Ford's character, he was the star at the time. Everybody knew him. He was Han Solo. He was Indiana Jones. Uh, you know, he's you, people watch that movie in 1982 and they think, well, uh, what's going on with Harrison Ford? You know, it's like yeah. he's cool. He, this is, it reminds me of cool detective movies from the 30s. But I don't really get his character. He's chasing after these guys. Are we supposed to root for a guy who's like an assassin? Yeah. I mean, it's an yeah. interesting point, actually, because I I would argue that you could remake Blade Runner, told entirely from Rucker Howard's character's perspective, yes. and it would be a more interesting yes. movie. And it yes. would actually be like it'd be a really dynamic movie. It'd be tragic. Mm-hmm. It would be, and then that Harrison Ford becomes the villain because he's this guy just picking off these right. somewhat yeah. innocent yeah. like people. Um, See, I think that's that's like my issue. With it. I feel like the, the story. I was I was. Um, Following it just didn't. I, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't grab me. Harrison Ford's character. I didn't really feel like anything for the most interesting character. Obviously, is is uh, uh, Batty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I feel like at, at that point you don't really see enough of him to understand. I mean, you do, but it was just kind of like yeah, it, it did seem like uh, you, you see that at the very end. All he's this murderous guy, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Oh, hey, check it out! Now I'm a philosopher." Like, well, where did that, you know, like, I kind of wanted to see that over over time. Well, you know? um, well, maybe this is a good time to break and kind of, uh, does anyone want to attempt to explain the synopsis of the movie? I mean, I know most people are generally familiar, but does anyone want to take a stab at, like, what this movie is about? Because it's based on a Philip K. Dick. Is it a novel or a short story? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure, actually. It's what, it's what, what do androids dream of? Uh, and we can say that Philip K. Dick was a famous science fiction writer. Uh, I think he died in the 80s, but he was famous for writing Minority Report, Total Recall, which I think was originally... A scan- titled, uh, uh, beneath the Scanner Darkly is yeah, him? Scanner Darkly is one of them. Total Recall was originally... The book was um, not called Total Recall. It was... Um, I can't remember. Hold on. I have I know something the called Blade, the internet. <laughs> I know the Blade Runner was called Do Androids Dream of Electric That's Sheep, what it was, right? yeah. And I think that that title actually speaks a little bit to the movie because it is about these people that don't necessarily know they're, they're, uh, they're not people, right? So right. it seems that they're androids. And would androids dream of electric sheep? I don't know. The, uh, the Total Recall, for those who care, was uh, based on the story uh, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale by right. Philip K. Dick. Right. All right. Okay, Sorry. so I'll take a stab at Blade Runner, right? Okay, Blade Runner is... Uh, a story of a retired police detective who's forced to come back into um, uh, duty in order to track down four renegade um, androids in the future, right? It's a dystopian future that takes place in L.A. Which is, a, hilariously, 2019, I believe, or something like that. Yeah, 2019, which yeah, is right. you know, six years away, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is amazing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bright future ahead of us. And he's, he's tracking down these guys, and uh, the main like, uh, villain he's tracking is uh, Rucker Howard. Uh, he plays Roy Batty, and um, he's been off the planet. He's, you know, all these androids have come back from wherever, and uh, Harrison Ford's uh, character, Rick Deckard, is, uh, his goal is to kill each one, retire, they call it retiring, and uh, he ends up uh, connecting with the... Um, the uh, the inventor of these androids, this guy named Tyrell, uh, Tyrell Corporation, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, so uh, you know that guy is the one who Rucker Howard eventually seeks out. He finds out that uh, he has um, you know four years to live, and uh, 
that's you know that's kind of his where his character's going and uh, it's basically about how you know these two characters eventually are going to confront each other at least that's the way I look I mean that's not the theme of the movie no but yeah the overall that's the general plot, plot arc right. as, as it were but as I mentioned it's it's pretty slowly paced when you watch the movie it occurred to me um, the action sequences except for the final action sequence I argue are these very like understated very simplistic uh, like basically just shootouts and right. for a science fiction movie uh, you would expect there to be some kind of other weird wrinkle there's uh, a handheld chase um, with uh, I think the second or third replicant that he gets Ron- Rhonda uh, right, yeah, the one who's like a stripper or something yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Zora Zora, Zora, right, yeah. Zora she ends yeah. up crashing through a plate window and yeah, yeah. that's like a, I feel like everybody is crashing through plate windows in the 80s yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> they're all over the place I mean you blame and it's a movie where everything's raining, everything's neon. There's this yeah. huge Asian influence in all the visuals, and uh, which is, I guess, interesting because they're you know dystopic LA, that kind of thing. So, I mean, production design wise, this is one of the, probably the best. I would argue one of the best production design movies ever made. Like, yes. especially because now, because back then it they were actually building these models mm-hmm. and they were actually yep. shooting these in real mm-hmm. places and building real sets and nowadays it would all be done in CG or whatever but here they're actually physically creating these things which I think is just super cool um, but let's just talk about uh Critically, I mean, I've, I've talked about my complaints with the movie a bit, but I'm curious to hear if you guys have the same feelings. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess my main criticism is that the protagonist guy, I mean, the, uh, the Rick Deckard is not a character that I could immediately sympathize with, you know, and, and we're supposed to, we're the one, he's the one we follow most of the movie. So, um, and you're right, I think you're right when you say it's paced slowly, like an art film. I think, especially, I feel like, uh, Mike, when you said that, you know, you didn't appreciate it this time, I think when I saw it for the first time, it's a movie that, took me a few times to watch it for me to actually get to to say I I like this movie. You know, I think it's a good movie. I think it's maybe even a great movie. I'm not sure I'd put it in the top uh, 250. I think it's number 69 on the (laughs) Sight and Sound top 250. It's a sidetrack there. Um, Well, Sight and Sound, though, that makes sense because it looks and sounds amazing. Yeah, well, Sight and Sound, (laughs) nice. I think, you know... It was the follow-up to Alien. It was really Scott's follow-up to Alien. Oh, it has, okay. it has a it has a similar uh, pacing, I would say, to Alien. It's very, you know, back then, really Scott's technique was, um, you know, a lot of kind of slow dolly shots and a lot of, you know, kind of, I mean, he, he was always about the design. In fact, I think maybe a main character in the movie is the design, the set. Yes. It's probably the star of the movie. Yep. And I think that... Um, when you watch a movie for the first time, I mean, some people are going to react to that and think, wow, this is the greatest movie ever made. Um, but, uh, you know, I, th- I think that, um, you know, what hits you first is the look, and then what hits you later as you watch it again, I think, is it, the story hits you. And then um, I think the more that I watched it, I mean, I've watched it a few, a couple times since we talked about doing this podcast, um, you know, the stories feels a little bit more solid, a little more, uh, I feel a little more connected to it. Um, not necessarily Harrison Ford's uh, arc, but definitely uh, Rucker Howard's. And I think if it weren't for that character, and especially that's, that that uh, scene at the end where he knows he's uh, you know going to die, you know, and it's just about how this confrontation plays out. And it's not a typical kind of like bad guy meets good guy confrontation. It's it's um, you know it turns out very differently. Well, See, I think that's the thing. I think like like um, I love the look of it. I think it, it looks beautifully. The sets are are done so well. Um, the design, everything. Um, and I think the world they build, I think everything that they, they create so far, just like the, this culture, this world, I think that's also really solid for me. Like I said, I think it was the story. I think that was that was my issue. I feel like they, they put a camera in the wrong part of this amazing world or, or at the wrong angle, potentially. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, it's it's interesting. I just don't think we're getting the right portion of it or something. Well, uh, Blade Runner falls in the category of movies for me that is incredibly interesting to dissect. I feel like I could talk about Blade Runner for hours, and hopefully I won't bore everyone by doing that. But <laughs> I also don't – but I don't necessarily think that translate to, translates to the experience of watching it. Um Mainly because I think there's a lot of thematic complexity going on in the movie. Um, as you said, the final confrontation, uh, the defeat of the bad guy is not heroic at all. It's mm-hmm. depressing. And yeah. you don't... Yeah. It, in fact, you almost feel bad that you... Well, you do. You feel bad that he's dying, and you almost begrudge Deckard for almost causing his demise in a way, right. which I think is interesting. But also this this thematic complexity about what constitutes humanity. All right, do you have to... I mean, is humanity just because just because you are a robot and have had memories implanted in you or whatever, does that make you any less human if you can feel like everybody right. else? And that that's, at the root of it, that's an incredibly interesting idea. And see, that's, I feel like that, that theme comes very strongly at the last maybe third of the movie. Which is why I think I got back into half, it. Yeah, the first half I feel like is, is an act, I'm expecting an action movie. I'm expecting a Star Wars, Indiana Jones, something like that where it's it's fast, it's gunshots. Right, well you look on the poster movies. of the movie and, and it's Harrison Ford holding gun. a gun, it's the, yeah. it's the girl smoking, but uh, you know. Yeah, yeah and it's very film noir, like this mm. is going to be a badass movie mm-hmm. of uh, alien spaceships and cool sci-fi. And yeah, it doesn't and, quite play out like that. And I, I like I like slower slower paced movies. I like art films. I like mm-hmm. thinking movies. And I think I feel like if it was if the back end of the movie was more like that than the front end, I think I would have appreciated it more. Now the uh, um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was um, this world we talked about being so visually arresting as it is. Does the movie do that world justice? And another criticism I had was I feel like all these amazing things are designed, but I also feel like there's not a huge point for a lot of them. Like, there's cool ships flying around, but are any of those pivotal of the plot at any point? Do they have to have hovercrafts to take them to the top of the Tyrell cor- uh, Corporation and so <laughs> forth? Or is that strictly for eye candy? And is that a... I mean, does that make it cinematically necessary? I would say yes, because I feel like it, it's it's creating something unique. It's, creating, it's setting the tone, I think, for sure. Um, something I feel like is... is I'm very interested in when I was watching is that like I noticed how the design of the future, this vision of the future is very, very busy. You look at like the uh, Deckard's apartment, the tiles on the wall have yeah. all that you, like yeah, you know, intricate, about, like, yeah. like organic looking. And you look at us now, you look at like, you know, future movies, what we have now, everything is very minimalist, clean, like mm-hmm. sanitized. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this vision of the future is every, there's just so much junk and crap sitting around. There's so much going on. And I feel like it helps with, um, you get that sense of claustrophobic, like things are just kind of collapsing in on themselves. I feel like that tone is, that's what I love about the movie. I feel like everything is, you know, is it the payphone? There's like stuff stuck to the side of the payphone. There's just junk everywhere. It just feels very um, over, maybe overpopulated isn't the right word because I feel like, you know, Earth is starting to lose its population, but it's just, it's cramped. It's outgrown itself. Humanity is starting to kind of like become ingrown in a way. So you're saying they're actually providing backstory without even saying anything. It's all this visual backstory. Right. I mean, it's, it's all shot very. I'm, cool. trying, I'm sitting here trying to think of a point of a flying car, and all I can think of is that it looks cool. You know, it yeah. provides but awesome as a visual lens artist. Players, you know? I mean, that's a, that's a, maybe that is good enough reason. I don't right. I don't and exactly know. I'm just I, I'm throwing it up there. I think Ridley Scott was always more of a uh, production designer, more yes. of, a, of, a, of a designer, uh, you know, artist than a filmmaker. <laughs> as a movie like Prometheus would indicate, right? But. Right. Well, you watch his movies, and, and some of them, you know, have I, I would argue that something like Thelma and Louise, for instance, was which was directed by Ridley Scott in 1991. I think that's actually I don't know if you got is this a movie that um, that might be one we have to do in the podcast I've never seen that okay so that's so. a movie that is like a 
kind of a road movie about two women. And it's not, you know, looking at his filmography, you might not think, well, or at least you might forget that he actually made something like that. You know, you think Gladiator, you think uh, Alien, you think Blade Runner, you know, Prometheus or whatever. Those are, those are the movies usually hallmarks of Ridley Scott's <laughs> canon or whatever. Yeah. Um, Robin Hood. <laughs> but he's, yeah, he's, he's known more. It's almost like he thinks of, like, I have this great vision of what this movie should look like. I need a story for it, you know. Yeah. something. So, you know, usually I would say it's the reverse. You know, it's uh, maybe a movie like Looper, which came out recently that we saw mm-hmm. together. That's a movie where I feel like the story came first and then the look probably yes. came second. So yeah. as a way, like, how can we make this script? Maybe the opposite was here. I don't know. Right. Um, so I've actually, I have, I have no idea how the novel differentiates, and I, I have never read the actual book that it's based no, on. I've never read and I'm curious to see um, reading. What's that? It's a movie podcast. <laughs> well, it's a lot. Lot. <laughs> um, uh, do you guys think that this movie's legacy is warranted in the sense that? Like, if you mention Blade Runner to a cinephile, I think they're going to, as you said, they're going to hold it in high regard, whether it's number 69 of the best movies of all time list or whatever. There's going to be some kind of clout that's behind. There's a weight behind this movie. Um, and I don't know whether that um, it has increased with uh, age, with, you know, if something gets older, it becomes more venerated over time. I don't or- think everything does, though. And I think, I think you're answering your own question. I think that the fact that its reputation has increased over time, I think the fact that, uh, you know, uh, more and more people have seen it. I think that you see it show that its it, style and themes you've seen in other movies over the past thirty years. Uh, you've seen it in other movies. I think that's just, that's a sign that its legacy is warranted. Whether it's a great movie or not, I don't know. But I think that you know, you know, it, it deserves this reputation as like influential, mod, uh, you know, kind of classic. Classic doesn't necessarily have to be a movie you love, but I, I would still call it a, a, a classic. And, you know, in terms of its influence, and so uh, keeping it in the tone of what this podcast is about, do you think this is like necessary viewing? If you have not seen Blade Runner, do you think that as a film fan, you need to sit down and watch it in order to complete both your cinematic education and also just to to enjoy as a film? You know, that's why we, we like watching movies, regardless of whether we want to analyze, <laughs> and text, you know, yeah, I, textualize I, things. So. I would say just because of its popularity, yes, I feel like there are movies that have done things better than it has but I feel like because of its uh, the, the high regard it's held and I think it's you can have a conversation about this with people you know I think mm-hmm. seeing it and knowing because it, it was you know significant you know on the, on the whole landscape of film from the last 20 years so yeah I would say yes of course yeah. I mean definitely is it's, it's something that that holds up I mean you can go back and watch other movies from the 80s that won't necessarily I, now I'm struggling to think of any at the, at the moment but um, I, I would say it does hold up and and uh you know, it's definitely something that if you're a film fan, you should definitely see. I would say most people, um, my par- I can't imagine my parents, for instance, they're not huge film fans. I can't imagine them really enjoying it. My wife, I'm yeah, not sure she would yeah. enjoy it. Well, but- my wife fell asleep, so just throwing that out <laughs> right. uh, when we were watching it. Um, just, you know, just as, as something there. Um, now I want to kind of get in kind of the fun point, the the nerdy discussion of the this podcast. This wasn't nerdy, really. So we've we've been. <laughs> no, no, this is going to get deep, guys. If you if you haven't found it yet, this is going to get real try, deep. I've tried to find some nerdy stuff. Um, so you can go ahead. The, the big question, obviously, is if you read about this movie a lot, there's a lot of debate whether or not Deckard himself is a replicant, whether yes, or not himself yes. he is an android, and let's talk about. The clues that the movie is the movie. I have two questions: Is the movie definitive about whether he is, and what clues does it provide to say that he is? Well, supposedly there's. Like, I've heard that yes and no. I've heard maybe previous cuts of the movie made it a little bit more obscure, or vice versa, it was less obscure. I think the movie is purposefully silent on the issue. I think it puts clues, but I don't think that 
I had actually been reading about this earlier today, and, and um, uh, Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford both had their differing opinions. Harrison Ford is like, no, he's human. He has to be. Mm-hmm. Ridley Scott said he was a replicant. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you had two people that were in the movie, in the right. movie, that making were, it, yes. and didn't even know. Yes, if you consider the author the director, then yeah. you would consider him correct, right? He's right. a replicant. That's that's what. So, but I feel like that. I, I think that really undermines what the story is trying to talk about. With you know the fact that if he's a replicant, he falls in love with another replicant. Right. Okay, well, of course. But if if he's a human and he falls in love with a replicant, that's that's. I sort of disagree because if he's a replicant that thinks he's a human that falls in love with the replicant, isn't that somewhat interesting in a way? Like, <laughs> that's I don't know. Interesting. That, that, I think. I think. That's that's serve the story, though. but also at the end of the movie, rewatching it, the big clues. Uh, if you consult the internet, the big clues <laughs> that can uh, is this: is uh, Harrison Ford dreams of a unicorn throughout the movie, right. and a couple scenes. I think two scenes throughout. The, he has two dream right. sequences of a unicorn, and uh, one of Bryant is the the guy who's recruiting Blade Runner. I mean, who's recruiting Harrison Ford to kill these replicants. Um, his is M M Walsh is at the. Uh guy his assistant who's like the guy who was like the trench coat oh uh um, or james, james almost, almost. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that guy yeah. um i should have actually known that he, <laughs> he, he keeps on, he, he, oh this got real dorky uh, <laughs> he um he produces origami unicorns yes. to deckard so how can he know what deckard's dreaming about unless those dreams are implanted into deckard meaning right. that deckard is a replicant because his dreams have been implanted right, in him. Right, right. and then the very end well, here's a quick hold on i want to counter oh that. boy Unicorns do not exist. You cannot create a memory of a unicorn running around. You know but I mean? you can like, create a fictional memory of one or a fictional dream of one. You can construct the dream of it. I don't, I don't know. say it, but I mean, that's, I think that's the idea that you implying. can manufacture what mm. someone dreams about. And I think the reason they're using a unicorn, honestly, is because Ridley Scott eventually used unicorns in uh, another movie. I think I don't know if it was a this was a screen test. But, well, no. <laughs> but Legend, do you remember Legend? Oh, he directed that movie. That was that was Ridley Scott oh. directing Legend. Yes, boom. Ridley Scott had to be the film authority here. Um, yeah, he has an interest. That was also a movie that that uh, has some interesting visuals, but probably fails on a lot on a story level. Uh, I'm not that Blade Runner does. I'm just saying that that's you know there's a, I would say a few films in his filmography where it's the same thing. Um, yeah, you're. I, I think you're right. I mean, the unicorn. You see the unicorn origami. In fact, uh, one thing I, I, I noticed today when watching it again was that at the beginning there's origami for for other moments. Uh, I think there's two more uh, points in the movie yeah, where so origami is a, uh, a match made out of it, right. a human being made out of a match, a match made a chicken made out of a napkin, or right? A chicken red paper, or and the chicken made sense. To, the chicken made sense to me. It's like Edward James almost puts this, uh, or he takes a little wrapper, he makes a chicken. You don't see him make the chicken, but he Harrison really Ford. Wish you did. Harrison Ford's yeah, a like, context. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, you get. Like, like a five-minute scene that we're James <laughs> And the pacing at the beginning of this movie it wouldn't have been unwarranted. There's a lot of static yeah. shots. Just yeah. like. It's like the director's final, final version. It's all origami. I want to talk about that. <laughs> continue, yes. Um, anyway, so he puts the chicken down, and at that point what's happening in the story is that uh, Harrison Ford comes in the office. Uh, M.M.O. Walsh says, we, you, uh, we need you to take this job, and, and Harrison Ford's about to leave. Like, he's chickening out. Of, yes. Of, yes. Yep. Okay, so you got to say, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I get and it. So, that's and that's good. when you put the chicken down, and I think that's what that was implying. The matchstick mm-hmm. thing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the matchstick thing was, but I think the unicorn. So I think there are points to the. I mean, I gotta say, the matchstick was not his best work. No, <laughs> 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 chicken and the unicorn the matchstick. I could have done that. I mean, <laughs> uh, what were you gonna say, Mike? You said you had a point to say about about, that? about the uh, the shots and stuff. But I want to uh, oh, okay. talk about the lighting. Uh, okay, well we'll get there. Uh, hopefully. Um, so I, I just want to say one thing. I don't think it really matters whether he's a replicant. I mean, I mean, at the, on, honestly, yeah. at the end, because the story isn't really about. I mean, they don't make the story about whether Harrison Ford's a replicant or not, right? The story is about uh, him chasing these guys and, 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 and what it means to be human and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, memories and, you know, that kind of stuff. It really doesn't matter, I think, at the end. 
Maybe yeah. he's a replicant. Maybe he's not. Uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't it's, really matter. It's, it's interesting you mention that because I would argue that the point of the movie is what does it mean to be human, and that's yes. like a very. Um, if you read the plot synopsis, that's not what they say the movie's about. You know, they what say. They, it's what a, do they say? Well, it's. I mean, it's about a, a neo noir detective who's oh, right. tracking down these four killer robots. Well, the you back know? of the video box yes, description. The, the, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, that's just. That's interesting to me, like, that that is a nugget in there. But the end sequence, like, that really kind of sealed the movie and actually made me really, uh, really ended on a high note is Harrison Ford is contemplating the idea that I believe, um, Edward James, James almost says, uh, you know, you know, she may only have, he's about to leave with, uh, Rachel, who's also a replicant, right. and yeah. she's. I wrote uh, it down, I think. This, is, this it, is it Rachel? It's a shame she has to die. It's a shame she has to die, but we, we all do. Don't we? Yeah, we, we all do, all don't we? And same so Harrison Ford <laughs> picks up this little origami, and he smiles a little bit, and it's almost like he's he knows now he's a replicant, but he's going to enjoy whatever moments he has less, right. left. And, the, and then you could, argue, you could argue that the point of the movie is that human, replicant, robot, whatever, the goal in life is to enjoy whatever time you have left, however limited that span is, whether it's mm-hmm. the four years or whether it's 90 years. And I think... As, as a movie that's a very profound statement and a very interesting way to come to what could have been a very trite idea mm-hmm. is done very subtly so I, mm-hmm. I respect that right yeah yeah, I think Rucker Howard's speech. I mean, I'm not usually into movies where a speech kind of defines the theme of the, the movie. The bad guy speech at the, the end. Bad of the guy movie. Yeah. 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 I would say Rucker Howard's talking. His, tear, short, his tears in the rain. It's, it's yeah. quite good. It's, it's like yeah, it's, it's good. a great it's, scene. It's performed well, and I actually, think, I think that Rucker Howard actually wrote some of that dialogue himself, if I'm not mistaken. Nice. So it's uh, you know he was uh, uh, he was a Dutch actor at the time. I think I'm not sure if this was his American debut, but uh, but. Uh, I, I do remember reading that he he does look like the most Aryan man that was ever <laughs> yeah, does, he does and as two Jews recording this podcast gave me a little <laughs> bit of if it, uh, but it's not <laughs> but uh, sorry to interrupt no no it's okay I mean you know his whole thing about like our memories disappear like tears in the rain and stuff like that so I mean I think you know there's a lot of movies where you know the idea of what it means to be human comes from our memories and uh, our ability maybe to look forward to things and our struggle to like oh we're gonna, I, I gotta hold on to life so that I can have more of these memories you know he gets really upset at his maker when he finds out that he's not gonna live anymore I mean you know, although I don't think he, we can talk about that scene in the middle where he, you know, it's uh, it's almost like he's a fallen angel, right? It's like he comes back from the sky, fall comes down. That's, yeah, that's he's really like good. the devil, and then this guy lives in this giant castle in the sky. Mm-hmm. It's like he's God. Oh, and, that's uh, interesting. And, uh, so you know, Roy Batty comes and he meets his maker, and he has this scene, and he finds out, well, there's no way for me to continue living, and um, you know, and then he pushes his eyes out and, and there's a lot of stuff in Pretty here intense. about eyes too right there's, tons yeah, about eyes they visit the eye yeah. maker they uh, for one of the first shots is an eye of right. reflection of the city yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean eyes it's, because that's how the lens that you view the world mm-hmm. I did when have it goes to the soul I, goes, yes the human yeah there you go isn't the first shot of the movie an eye or? it is yeah. oh, well it's after the first, I think, after the black center. screen okay. of Text, right? Well, it's, which it's the, city, the most boring think, title first. sequence that has ever yeah. existed. Yeah. It's just black, uh, white text over black screen. Yeah, but anyway, and whose eye is that? Would you say? Oh, I assumed it was Harrison, Harrison Ford. I thought so too, but he's on the ground. He's in the city. He's not flying through no. the sky. So I don't know if it's if it's. Oh, you're right. Anyone? I guess it could be the uh, the one uh, the replicant. I can't remember his name. Uh, the one who's. Um, the guy. The uh, one who the shoots the guy Leon. at the beginning. <laughs> yes, Leon. Leon. Yes, Leon. What kind of test is this? He's actually yeah. a, he's yeah. actually a really he, good actor. He, I really he, enjoyed his performance. And yeah, well, see, he, I, I don't, I don't you know, like a good actor is if he's just like that in real life. That just a schlubby like, yeah, I think so. guy. Yeah. Um, so a couple questions I have. Just I didn't sure. understand. Uh, maybe you guys can answer them for me. What exactly 
makes a replicant a replicant because they seem to bleed and feel pain. Mm-hmm. So I didn't quite understand. Like, if Harrison Ford is in fact a replicant mm-hmm. and Rucker Hauer is easily breaking his fingers mm-hmm. and beating the crap out of him and bleeding all is over it, the place, yeah, is right. how is like how does that work? Is like, what makes him android Right. I had the same question actually. Well, we say we say android, but it, and it's possible that they weren't meant to be androids. In fact, I was thinking because they're called replicants, maybe it means they're clones. Clones. They're clones. Yeah, okay, that's, that's a better that's a better term. Replicating cells, right? So I don't know why I had this. Like, maybe because the original book is called "Do Androids Dream of Electric right. Sheep?" I had this envision right. of my head of them being robots, right. but maybe they're actually humans that have like the, super yeah, abilities, the, the, right? The only thing I can see that is different is that their eyes you get that weird retina glow, which is awesome. Awesome, by the way. I don't know how yeah, they did it's it. Really but it's really cool. I think they have like that, that like cat's eye kind of thing mm-hmm. where the light hits it a certain way, which you see in Rachel very early on when yeah. she takes that exam. You're right. like, what's going on with her eyes? Yeah, she... yeah I, it's just, it's, uh, I think that actually clarifies a lot for me because that makes sense. It's like they're almost genetically superior humans, but mm-hmm. they are right. human in a way, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is actually more interesting. Which is exactly because if they're exactly the same biologically, then what? What's it? They were synthetically made. They were created from from what? Like so? Yeah, it's not that they're robots. They are technically human in the sense of the biology, but they're just humans with a very short uh, lifespan <laughs> that have been <laughs> under more control and that have been genetically. Engineered to right, die right, yeah. at a certain time and been supposedly stronger. So that was like the mm-hmm. big question I had when watching, like what constitutes that. So mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anything else that's in watching that is incredibly unclear to you, or you think the film doesn't do a good enough job of addressing, or things that you're just curious about. Could not be. I don't know. <laughs> just throwing it out there. Um, hmm. well, kind of having a brain fart here. Sorry, you can edit that out. So, Mike, you want to talk about visuals? Let's talk about visuals. Let's, let's get there now. Well, the one thing I wanted to say, like I, I thought, you know, I, I thought it was very interesting is that you talk about a lot of static shots in the beginning. I note the lighting. There is always, almost always, something moving. The mm-hmm. light is always moving in the right. background, even when they're in that that pyramid with um, uh, Tyrell. Is that his name, Tyrell? Yeah, okay, I'm yeah. assuming it's his corporation. Yeah, yeah, it is his name. I don't know what I'm so. Even at that point when they're up to that, taking the test, there's, I think, water, light reflecting off of water in the background behind them. So there's always this very busy, very moving. There's spotlights going. There's always this noisy. And I think, again, the fog, I would say, right? The fog is there. And rain. Constant rain. And I think that stuff helps, actually, uh, the special effects in this movie age better because, you know, a lot of that covering stuff hides. It. It's like hides. the Jurassic Park Tyrannosaurus Rex scene is so good because it's right. raining and dark, right, which yeah. really helps out that right, scene. Yeah. So, But I think it contributes, again, to the tone I was talking earlier that it's very busy and, like, you know, it's like, you got all this stuff going. It's just this, uh, this like anxiety. This stuff going. These lights sweeping. This stuff mm-hmm. jumping, flashing, neon computers. This stuff happening all the time behind, even behind, away from the action. And it's interesting because you have that contrast. You can have a shot of somebody not moving because everything is busy behind them. It's that that yeah. contrast of, of stillness to busyness. And you're, you know, it is very interesting yeah. visually. So everything obviously is cold. Yeah. Freezing, everything is blue, and I think there's like for LA too, which is supposedly you know so southern, warm. Yeah. LA is typically Southern California. It's warm, yeah. it's sunny, and here it is always it's dark, dark yeah. always yeah. rainy. It looks disgusting. There's pollution everywhere. It's funny that the only scene, I think, like only one of the few scenes, is when it actually gets daylight, sunny out. Is when they, he's going, I think, to talk to Tyrell. And it just turns slightly more yellow. It's still sickly. You're like, is this sunrise? What, what, what am I looking at? And then it gets a little more apparent as time goes on. I'm like, oh, that is the sun. Like, yeah, where are like what is going on? This is a nightmare. yeah. Well, they don't really you know, go like, into the backstory, right? They never talk right. about what happened to this world. They just you know, they drop you in, and it's actually better when you can just kind of create in your mind what. what it's kind of what you were right? saying earlier, Mike, I, about that whole idea that they're almost telling the story by not telling it. Like right, right. And I, I wasn't concerned. I wasn't distracting from it. It was just like God. This this world is just a nightmare. It's just that's as bright as it gets. Mm-hmm. That's as sunny as it gets. It's just that haze, you know. So I think maybe a good follow up to this part is is when you watch this movie, did you see? Um, 
anything you're like, wow, this part is just like this movie. Like, I mean, there's a lot of movies that... Uh, you mean that came after it? That came that, after it, right, uh, yeah. The, I mean, the you, can, you can look at it and, and say, like, wow, this is... I mean, if you're real... If you watched a lot of movies, you can say, wow, this movie reminds me of, say, Chinatown, right? I mean, there's a lot of elements that... that or, or, or 30s and 40s film noir movies were... Like, yeah, yeah, yeah because it is a film can, noir. It but is you can a also film look noir, at yeah. it and see, like, oh, I saw, like, recently Pacific Rim this summer, and you can look at scenes in Pacific Rim and think, wow, there's a lot of stuff in that movie that's interesting um, yeah. where you know you see like I, the neon yeah the neon the beginning yeah. the, specifically the scenes uh, that take place in Hong Kong I would say well it's funny I, to mention that oh go ahead sorry uh, just real quick again just to touch on the, like, uh, the Deckard's apartment that the, the busyness on the walls like those lines mm-hmm. that design reminded me a lot of the set design from Alien yeah like, I, was, I wrote was that down very, too. yeah very like a lot of the flats well, even the computer screens and yeah, the computer when they're screens, it's yeah. very that very um, but the main difference that I noticed is that everything in Blade Runner is very sharp angles sharp angles triangles squares mm-hmm. where Blade Runner or, or an Alien everything's very curvy and organic HRD, that's interesting very well, in the shape though in the, um, in I think well maybe uh, I'd have to go back and review uh, next week guys <laughs> oh, God. we're doing it <laughs> I think we should end now I think, we're, I think we're done guys uh, <laughs> I don't have any more podcasts well, I just, I what I remember <laughs> about Alien is mostly you know these kind of you, know, you remember the very phallic and sexual look of the design and it's all God, very curvy and, 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 and in this movie it's all very kind of straight edge well, and I would say maybe that speaks to the kind of Themes of of, of, I, I, of ro- not robots, androids, and technology and stuff. Right, yeah. I think it's indicative almost of like the I think that that time period, the view of the future. In fact, actually, Disneyland, you go into like the uh, with Tomorrowland. There's a couple of places. Yeah. This might be Star Tours. Has Tomorrowland the looks like Blade Runner now. No, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. No, it's only it's a port. I think um, it's you heard it here first. Mike Brandy said that Tomorrowland has been stolen from Blade Runner. So uh, <laughs> it is Blade Runner. It is a modern day. No, Blade Runnerland. I think the vision of the future would very had had that, that all kind of the same thing. I think that the ship. This, you know, yeah, yeah, and it's loosely, just, loosely, <laughs> loosely. Uh, I mean, not at all. In terms, <laughs> in terms of modern movies nowadays, the only one that comes to mind that I've seen recently is I don't know if you guys saw Cloud Atlas, yes, but all the not. new, n- new soul portions of that movie have got like a similar. I don't know. I would argue there's color palette. Sure. And, um, yeah. oh, we're uh, talking about the uh, the uh, the androids, or the clones. There's clones in that yeah, movie, right? Tons yeah. of clones. But <laughs> that, that, that's the only thing that comes to mind. But that was mm-hmm. just popped in there. Yeah. Uh, well, I wrote down. I wrote down just a, a short surprise, list Mike. of uh, <laughs> movies that we can th- that we can say that you know when I saw it, or, you know, there's certain things in Batman. Okay, this is, the, this is the official list. All right, let's go. Well, I, okay. So I, I mean, this is no particular order, but I just is what I wrote down. Is, Batman yeah, whatever. Begins. So Batman, I'd say okay. that, you know, number one, Batman Begins. Right. I mean, you look at that trilogy, and it has very different styles. Three movies, That's a good point. Say. So Batman Begins, you look at it, and a lot of it feels like the Gotham feels more like a city on a Blade Runner, and the follow-ups it feels more like an actual existing city, gotcha. you know, like a more whatever. Mm-hmm. I would say Looper, which I mentioned already, a lot of yeah. that. You know, life takes place in Kansas, but you know a lot of that. I mean, it has the fl- I think it has the flying cars, and it has you know yeah, it feels still it feels familiar yeah. but futuristic. I'd say the Crow. It's, it's an older one where you got the uh, uh, Brandon uh, Lee. Is that? I think I'm. Yeah, that's right. right. You're right. Jumping from rooftop to rooftop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's dark and it's rainy. It's it feels the... a lot like uh, uh, you know a lot of the stuff in Blade Runner. There's Minority Report. I would say mm-hmm. portions of it feel like Blade Runner. Um, so uh, you know, I would say a lot of commercials that you see on TV probably. It's almost like when uh, and like, the Matrix. I had to say, oh, Matrix, yeah, yeah, the Matrix yeah, and Dark yeah. City. Those two yeah. movies. Oh yeah, you know, Dark. have you seen Dark City? That might be a good one to watch no. the podcast. That's a good yeah. one. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's almost like Blade Runner is how a movie should look when people throw around the phrase that gets talked like want to make it dark and gritty. Blade Runner is how yes. it should be done well, and mm-hmm. then there's movies that just don't do it well um, because I, I hate when Hollywood movies try to make things 
dark and gritty, but it's cr- clearly a doesn't clean, need to be. It doesn't or need to be. E- either it doesn't need to be, or it's a clean dark and gritty where it's mm-hmm. like it's still polished enough that it feels fakely. Yeah. And this doesn't. This feels like an actual world. So maybe does, maybe like yeah. the Fifth Element would be a good example of that, right? I mean, that's another one I wrote down, yeah. but I'd say that feels pretty polished, right? Uh, yeah, it, it is. But with the Fifth Element has almost got like this weird steampunk French new wave like electric. Trick color scheme like right. that movie's got a very interesting it's like a cartoon it is it's like a visual cartoon yeah so and this movie's this not movie's that, not not that at all no. so very interesting so does anyone have anything else to add as we <laughs> close out our discussion on Blade Runner well I was gonna say um, you know I, there's there's things that I've always noticed in in both Ridley Scott and Tony Scott's movies and that is the use of zoom lenses fog and and uh, sharp contrast and light and you know, you you watch one of their movies, and it, I, I find it interesting that both directors they made very different kinds of movies, but they both had very similar. I don't, and I don't know what it was about using always using zoom lenses, but they just were always like n- narrow depth of field. Um, I wanted to point that out. Actually, the opposite of so many movies today, which are so focused on as much shallow depth of field as possible, and right. this you can see the yeah. entire frame. Like they want right. to show it off. It's yeah. so good right. looking that they right. want to show it off, which is interesting. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to mention was, uh, oh, you already mentioned the Bradley building. Um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, the guy who plays Tyrell, he was the he was the bartender in The Shining. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. He, was, <laughs> he wasn't in a lot of movies. Follow the guy who plays uh, the aging toy maker, uh, J.F. Sebastian. He was. Oh, guys he looks so Deadwood. familiar. What is, Deadwood? The show what Deadwood? else has he been in? This other stuff. Well, I'm sure he's been in other things. I forget what his, 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 the actor's name is. It's, it's um, don't worry, I'll look it up. I got the internet. Find it in a second. Um, but he was in the show Deadwood. William Sanderson. William Sanderson. Oh, um, that Billy, Billy Sanderson. Oh, Bill Sandy. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Bill Sandy. He was just over here for coffee. He was. Uh, he was <laughs> I, I liked him. I, I thought his, his acting was weird at points. I think he had a good look. He's and a I, weird guy, though. I like what. I think it had to have been some kind of makeup when he's in the elevator. Going oh, up yeah, to his yeah. His face is like all yeah, yeah, wrinkled. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, his character was supposed to have some problem with him where he was aging, and that was his. Right. That was his connection with the, um, the replicants. The replicants yeah. was that they both had shorter lifespans. And you he couldn't see to it, though. He seemed, he seemed like like had circles under his eyes in the apartment. When he gets in that elevator, you're just like, what is going on with his skin? Right. It's kind of weird. Um, and then Daryl Hannah, good, we should but, mention, he, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of actors. Is this her first movie? movie? I don't know if it's her first movie, but I think it was early. It, was, it had to be early on in her career because yeah, she's so young. Well, everyone looks so young in this movie. Harrison, yeah, Harrison Ford, Ford looks so young. Yeah, he well, he was kind of at the peak of his Harrison Fordness, I would say. At this point, you know, <laughs> I mean, he, you know, he was Indiana Jones as Han Solo. He like in, in the early eighties is kind of where he fell, where he was really like the biggest star in the world, right? I mean, he had this great look. Um, he, he, I wrote down here something I kept noticing: his smirk. It's like he has, mm. he just has this charisma, like easy charisma, you yeah. know. And, and it's probably a perfect fit for this kind of character. I would say I, I had no problems with his performance. I thought his performance yeah. was great, you know. Um, but you know, his character. If you go back and watch movies, say like Chinatown, uh, where Jack Nicholson's character, there's an actual, there's more of a character arc. Uh, in that movie to Jack Nicholson's character. I don't know if it's a movie that you guys have seen. I've seen Chinatown. 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 I have seen Chinatown. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, that's a, that's a movie that you can uh, compare this to. If you kind of, you know, it's not a science fiction movie, but it's the same kind of detective, you know, it's sent, on a, sent on it's a mission story and I've got to figure something out. And really, it's about bigger context than what the mission is actually about, right. and there's yeah. other things going on. But I would say there's more of a, of a, of a character arc in Jack Nicholson's character, you know, more of a loss of innocence, say. Whereas in this movie, I think that uh, Harrison Ford. 
you know, if, if there's a loss of innocence, I guess that's maybe what his character goes yeah, through. He's already, I think it's it actually really... reverse. I feel like he's so jaded, he kind of redeems himself a little bit. He starts to become oh. a little bit more human. Okay, so maybe that's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I mean it, it, I'm struggling, I was struggling to kind of find out what really happens to him in the movie. But I think, I mean, Yeah, I think he appreciates, I think he kind of understands how these aren't just, you know... Who Harrison Ford you're talking about? You're talking well. about Harrison Ford, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's subtle. I don't think it's really, you know... No, I think it's there. Yeah. He becomes, yeah... But you can go theater. back and look at this movie. I think if you okay, if you, if you didn't see Star Wars, you didn't see Indiana Jones, and you just saw this movie, would you would you understand why he was such a big star? I think. In a way, he's got presence. I mean, yeah. he's got leading man presence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting in a way. If you want to talk about his character's arc, you could argue that the only way he could become more human was by discovering that he was a replicant, which I think is another interesting idea. Because by the end of the movie, he's less he's less hardened. He's Got but somewhat I, more humanity, and he also you're left with the inkling that he knows he's no he's not human. So, but that's I think interesting. I think that's uh, I, again I'll, I'll say that I don't think that's as strong of a because he has no ch- oh I'm, I'm a robot too versus him saying I'm I'm human but these guys are just like me I've I've seen what you know Roy saved my life when I could have died he, gotcha, he's talking right. about and then he falls in love with a woman who who you know he should be reporting should be turning and he's risking his life and, and potentially you know anything for to get her to safety and to live a life with her we, we assume so cool right that's one thing I think it also didn't work for me is that relationship I would say that probably didn't really it escalates very quickly but I don't know I don't know I kind of bought it that one that was weirded out by the whole like they're playing piano it's a soft tender beautiful scene and then all of a sudden like Harrison Ford is getting really rapey like she tries to leave <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The door. he does get a little like, rapey it's weird like <laughs> um, it's but he's Harrison Ford so it looks kind of I don't know but, I mean, well like, I, I think you would have to have you know a girl on this podcast someone uh, or someone attracted to men to say whether that was a uh, a good you know like is that a don't try it at home is that a sexy scene you know do girls I mean I would say some women maybe maybe like watching Harrison Ford you know as as long as there's no punching and kicking (laughs) oh boy it's going to dangerous territory so we need to call it out soon uh, I I was wondering if maybe it was something that he was trying to teach her how to be human maybe she didn't know how to love because she had no um, memory of it so I was wondering if it was almost like him trying to kind of Break through this. This you know, she doesn't know what 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 she's doing, what it's all about. She tries to leave because she's afraid of it. He's trying to maybe make her more human, maybe uh, familiarize her with like how that. And this is reminding me of something else I did read about, uh, which is that that a lot of people had. And I'm not sure about now, but I mean, a lot of people have, have written that this movie is a little misogynistic, and that you know her character is the one that kind of lives and escapes and, and makes it through, and she's kind of very subservient, right? She's not you know the other ones like Daryl Hannah. And the one who ends up getting thrown through play class. I mean, those are the ones that are, um, you know, those are the women that are, you know, they trying. get shot quickly. Yeah, they get shot quickly. They get killed and, and disposed of. But and they're kind of more independent and, you know, um, yeah. So I, I don't, I don't really think but that's she, what the movie's about. But it, she kills a replicant though. That's about to kill Harrison that's, Ford. That's true. She does shoot. Not uh, bad with a gun. So that's, that's true. <laughs> Shoots him through the head. What I like in a woman. So most important thing. So um, I think we're going to close out now, but does anyone have any final, final thoughts um, before we do so? I'll say just real quick, I, I enjoyed the movie a lot more the second time around than the first time. I feel like because I didn't know what to expect, I think I was getting pulled all over the place. Right. Like, all right, I don't. Now that I knew, okay, it's about, it's not an action, it's about being human, going back and rewatching and observing for that, I think I appreciated it more. I feel the same way. I think yeah. the first time you watch this, I think you're going to be disappointed. I think that if you uh, spend more time thinking and talking about it, it which is probably why it's such a cult I, movie exactly. that's yes. ga- that's gained this this presence, because walking out of a theater, I'd be like, that was boring. But like right. the more I think about it, the more I'm Which is what happened, and we should say really quickly, that was the reason they, had, they ended up adding the narration in the movie, because test audiences didn't get it, so they added mm-hmm. in 
narration that Harrison Ford, you know, and I think he, he it, it sounds like he didn't do that great a job because yeah, he probably didn't agree with, with what they were doing and with studio, the studio interference. So I think it does work better without the narration. And I think, you know, you know, I think with the narration, you might actually enjoy it more the first time. But I think, you know, watching the final cut, I think, is a movie that you need to see probably more than you need to review it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so um, real quickly, just... Uh, uh, Dave, where can people find you on the internet if they want to follow you, do that kind of stuff? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash, well, okay. You can follow me on the internet <laughs> really at, Dave, at Dave Glanz, D-A-V-E G-L-A-N-Z, or you can go to my website and see my work at daveglanzproductions.com. Mike, what about you? Yeah, pretty much the same, www.daveglanz.com for Mike Miranda. I work for Dave, no. MikeMirandi.com, that's M-I-K-E-M-I-R-A-N-D-I.com and you can find anything else you need to from there so cool and uh, my Twitter is uh, uh, at Ivan Kander that's I-V-A-N-K-A-N-D-E-R and um, uh, I write for a website called shortoftheweek.com so if you like great short films you should check out that website so uh, also if you uh if you have movies that you'd like us to recommend or, or, or recommend to watch or so forth, because we're going to try to keep doing this on a somewhat regular basis, uh, the website for the podcast is reviewedpodcast.com, so you can get in touch with us there. Um, I guess that's it for the first episode. We did it, guys. We one, did it. one in the books. <laughs> All so, right. Um, <laughs>